0: This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining me for our daily podcast. Uh, This is our Saturday Bible study edition where we'll look at various topics. And so today we want to look at what the scripture says about speaking in tongues. It's controversial among many Christian groups now, uh, but the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about it. And so we're just going to read what the scripture says. Um, John chapter 3 verse number 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. When the wind blows, you hear the sound. The word translated here as sound in this verse. Usually refers to the sound of a spoken language or a voice. Uh, The King James translates it as a voice 131 times, to be noised abroad uh, one time, as sound eight times. And so we see almost always this refers to a spoken language. Just as everyone hears the sound, the voice, the language of the wind. It'll be the same with everyone that is born of the Spirit, according to Jesus. What is the sound, the voice, or the language that we should expect to hear? Jesus listed several signs that would follow believers, but only one involved a sound. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. According to Jesus, believers will receive supernatural power and speak with new tongues, which means languages, uh, languages that they hadn't learned, that they were unfamiliar with. And we'll see throughout the New Testament, it has examples of them speaking with earthly languages, but also we're told that you could speak with the tongues of angels and that there's heavenly languages. And so um, the Lord doesn't specify here. He just says that they'll be speaking with ...supernaturally with new languages or tongues. On the day of Pentecost, the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost... ...further demonstrates that speaking in tongues... ...is the sound that accompanies the birth of the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4-5 through 5 says, "...and being assembled together with them, commanded them... ...that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father... ...which saith he, You have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples who already believed in Christ. They confessed Him to be Lord. They had repented. They were obedient. They believed in the death, burial, and resurrection. Yet, Jesus told them that they still needed to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, they receive it. Uh, Acts 2 and 2 says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Remember the words of Jesus where you would hear the sound of the wind blowing in? And verse 4, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When the Spirit blew in, they were born again with the accompanying sound of tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. A crowd gathered and began to question what was happening. Acts chapter two, verse eight, and then we'll read from verse twelve and verse eight. They said, "We hear every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born." And then verse twelve, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, "What meaneth this?" So, how do we hear these people speaking these languages, and what does it mean? Peter stood up and he explained that the promise of the Spirit had come. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we'll skip ahead to verse 18. Uh, on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then in verse 23, Peter is speaking of Jesus and he says that he's received the promise of the he's received of the father the promise of the holy ghost so we're talking about the subject the promise of the holy ghost he hath showed forth this which you now see and hear and so peter emphasized that the events that they beheld and the miraculous tongues they heard were the evidence of the promised outpouring of the spirit and then in Acts 238 38-39, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so Peter reiterated that the Spirit is universally available. Anyone can receive this great baptism of the Holy Ghost. After preaching this to the uh, people in Jerusalem, we find revival spreads to the region of Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, it says, "...when they were come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So much like the disciples before the day of Pentecost, the people of Samaria had believed the gospel. It's Acts 8 and 12 tells us that. They were healed. They were delivered. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. were told in Acts 8 that there was great joy, that there was powerful signs and wonders. Yet the disciples were able to determine that for all of that, the Samaritans had not received the Holy Ghost. How did the apostles conclude that these baptized believers had not received the Spirit? But then they were able to conclude that after they laid hands on them, that they did receive it. What was the evidence? And verse 18 of the same chapter of Acts chapter 8, it speaks of a man, Simon, who had been a sorcerer. He had been converted, and now he is money hungry, and he begins to scheme on how he could have access to the power to give the Holy Ghost to people, and he could charge them for it. So he's backslidden in his heart at this point. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So he's not in a spiritual state. I don't think this was some great revelation of truth that he, re- he received individually. But naturally, he was able to see that when the apostles laid hands that the Holy Ghost was given. And so he could recognize the moment the Samaritans were recipients of the promise and he desired this to purchase this power so that he could do this as well and that the accompanying evidence would come and people would know that they had received the spirit and he he was wanting this as a business venture but based on Simon's response we know that there had to be external evidence this was not just some inward work that wasn't immediately manifest outwardly. But we know that there was evidence when a seeker received the Spirit. And so what we're doing when we study through here is trying to find what is the consistent evidence so that you can know that you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. We read about it in Paul's conversion. Uh, The conversion of Paul illustrates that subsequent to initial faith, a believer should receive God's Spirit. And we see after this Damascus Road experience that he had where the light shined and uh, Jesus said I, that he was the Lord and then Paul was obedient to the heavenly vision and to the voice. Uh, this is, is all the fruit of repentance. This this man believes in Christ and he's done all that the Lord has asked him to do and so the Lord Sent Ananias to minister to Paul. Acts 9 and 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So Paul had faith that Jesus was Lord, but he didn't have the Holy Ghost. Paul had, as I mentioned, manifest the fruit of repentance. But he didn't have the Holy Ghost. He was obedient, but he didn't have the Holy Ghost. He still needed the Holy Ghost. So as in Acts 8, the evidence of the unfilling is not specified here. But we know that there was evidence. There was something that happened that was unique, that was subsequent to him first saying, Jesus is Lord, that, that signified that he had been filled with the Holy Ghost. And while it's not mentioned in this particular text, we do know that Paul frequently spoke in tongues after his conversion. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 18, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And so when Paul was converted and filled with the Spirit, he became a tongue-talking believer. Uh, one of the great texts that demonstrates that tongues was the consistent sign that someone had received the Spirit, that the Spirit had come upon them or fallen on them, that they had been filled with the Spirit, that they had been baptized with the Spirit. All those terms are used for this experience, that they had received the Holy Ghost. Um, one of the great proof texts, I guess, if we can say it that way, is in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, a Gentile, is baptized with the Holy Ghost. And the Jewish brethren didn't understand yet that this promise truly was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Let's read it, Acts 10 and 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost." And then here's the key. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Whenever they heard them speaking with tongues, they couldn't deny it. The Jews were astonished that the Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But how could you deny when they were speaking with evidential tongues and magnifying God? Peter was called before the council and asked to explain what occurred. In Acts chapter 11, uh, starting with verse number 15, he said, As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So upon hearing Peter's testimony that the same spirit, or the like gift, came on the Gentiles in the same way that it came on the apostles, he said it fell on them as on us. Remember how it fell on them on the day of Pentecost? With evidential tongues. The Jerusalem council, upon hearing this, concluded that God granted the Gentiles repentance unto life or as jesus said in john 3 they were born of the spirit and so this is again a great text emphasizing that the sign they were looking for was tongues and then we see this reiterated again and again so let's read um the last account in the book of Acts um, where there's an outpouring of the spirit that that's recorded. Acts chapter 19 verse two. He said unto them, have you received the Holy ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy ghost verse six. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied again. These people, it's specified that they're believers um, and Once again, they've had initial faith, and then Paul baptizes them with water. But none of that was what it meant to receive the Spirit. When the Spirit came on them, they spake with tongues. Now, we've went through the pattern here, and I want to just make a point that I made when we first began our study on the book of Acts. So if you've listened throughout the podcast, this will be a little bit of a repeat, but I'll make it short. Um, 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, all scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions and righteousness. So what we find is that all scripture is given for doctrine. It's estimated that about three quarters of the Bible is narrative. But it's still doctrine. So the book of Acts is the only book that chronicles the experiences of the early church. These examples were preserved to establish a doctrine. So by careful study, we found that A, they received the Spirit, receiving the Spirit is a unique experience apart from initial faith. B, the Spirit is promised to all. C, everyone born of the Spirit can be identified by a sound. D, every example of spirit baptism illustrates that both the recipient and the witnesses would be able to identify the moment the spirit came. And then E, when the evidence was specified, tongues was universally presented as the initial evidence of the, of the, the infilling of the spirit. And so it is apostolic and biblical to expect every believer to be filled with the spirit. And that's what we're seeking. You're not seeking tongues. You're seeking the the powerful spirit of God but when that spirit comes uh the experience is confirmed with evidential tongues i'm reminded when jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and i think that's a good way to look at it whenever someone is filled with the spirit a supernatural infilling their their mouth is going to supernaturally speak they're going the spirit's going to give the utterance and so it's going to be words that they haven't learned and that they couldn't articulate naturally, but something that comes from God. They glorify and praise God, and um, we have this supernatural sign that it's in tongues. Now, we're in the Bible Belt South, and if you lived here, you would uh, think that all of Christianity, uh, or the majority of Christianity, is whatever is the dominant church in your little town or your little neighborhood here, of course, there's a lot of Southern Baptists here, but there's also a lot of other um, organizations, many that um, don't preach or practice the baptism of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. Some go so far as to say that they believe it's either a lie or an evil spirit, or, or, but they're ignoring the evidence, um, not just of the Bible, but also the testimony of believers around the world. And throughout history, Uh, and the Encyclopaedia Britannica um, chronicles uh, church history, where during church history there's a list all throughout the years where we have. Evidence of people speaking in tongues in the thirteenth century it mentions that there were friars that there's recorded that they were speaking in tongues, and then there were the Irvingites, and there's a whole list of them I won't read them all um, but then it says tongues were found also among the early Quakers as well as among the converts of John Wesley and George Whitefield in modern times. Um, speaking in tongues has been found chiefly among holiness and Pentecostal groups. So we have historical evidence that this is not something new just the last century, but there have been groups of people, oftentimes outside the mainstream, but people who went back to the Bible and began to seek for the promises of God and they received um, and these are disparate groups that are not connected to each other, but they received the same spirit with the same evidence. Um, Harvey Cox is a uh, f- wrote, he's from Harvard and he's written some books and articles uh, and from 1995 we have this quote he said Pentecostalism is a spiritual hurricane that has already touched nearly half a billion people and an al- alternative vision of the human future whose impact may only be at its earliest stages today so this uh, man and his research in 1995, said, Well, half a billion people have been touched by Pentecost. The Washington Post wrote an article uh, a few years ago, the Southern Baptist. Previously, you weren't allowed to be a missionary or on the mission field to get licensed if you spoke in tongues. That was part of their, qu- and they had to change that. And they explained why, and they said it was because it was such a normative experience and these other countries that they couldn't feel uh, the ministry was. Everyone was It was normal to speak in tongues, and so they couldn't fill their pulpits with that requirement. And so this article from the Washington Post describing that, it says, In so many parts of the world, these charismatic experiences are normative, said Bill Leonard, a professor of church history at Wake Forest Divinity School. Religious groups that oppose them get left behind evangelistically. Um, another N.T. Wright, who's a very prominent scholar, um, didn't believe in what isn't from a Pentecostal tradition, didn't believe in evidential tongues and prayer, um, He recently gave his testimony of when he received the Spirit. He said, The next thing I knew, I was praying in tongues. I was very startled. This wasn't supposed to happen. And so this is N.T. Wright from Oxford University. And my point is that these are not just fringe people, but people who have given their life to this study of Scripture and trying to advance the gospel. Um, The Pew Research Center did a account, I guess, a survey of what Christianity looks like around the world. And they concluded that Pentecostals and Charismatics made up 584 million people. All evangelical groups combined, um, outside of the Pentecostal and Charismatic realm, all the other evangelical groups combined only made up about 285 million people. And so, as I said, here where we're at, it seems like, well, you got a little Pentecostal church on the backside of town. But the truth is, if you combine all the other evangelical groups together and then doubled it, there's still more Pentecostals and Charismatics around the world. Uh, That's about according to the Pew Research Center, right now about 8.5% of the world's population identifies as Pentecostal or Charismatic. That's incredible. Um, and of course, that number, this, this is a few years back and Pentecost is spreading rapidly around the world. And so this probably underestimates it. So If somewhere close to 10% of the people in the world, one out of every 10 people is experiencing these supernatural experiences, how do we just dismiss that and not consider that this could be the great outpouring that the Bible promised and that it was prophesied and it's happening just like the scripture says, according to the same pattern. There's been research done uh, of people speaking in tongues. I have a quote here from Andrew Newberg, um, who did research for the University of Pittsburgh Medical School of Medicine. And he chronicled what happened when someone spoke in tongues. And this is what he said. Our finding of decreased activity in the frontal lobes during the practice of speaking in tongues is fascinating because these subjects truly believe that the Spirit of God is moving through them and controlling them to speak. Our brain imaging research shows us that these subjects are not in control of the usual language centers during this activity, which is consistent with their description of a lack of intentional control while speaking in tongues. These findings could be interpreted as the subject's sense of self being taken over by something else. We scientifically assume it's being taken over by another part of the brain, but we couldn't see in this imaging study where this took place. We believe this is the first scientific imaging study evaluating changes in cerebral activity, looking at what actually happens to the brain when someone is speaking in tongues. This study also showed a number of other changes in the brain including those areas involved in emotions and establishing our sense of self. And so uh, we see that there is also um some scientific evidence affirming what we could describe, uh, as our personal testimony. And I can vouch that whenever I received the gift of the spirit, it was ap- absolutely real. It was absolutely supernatural. Um, it's not something that I was controlling or making happen. I was speaking, but I was yielding to the spirit and speaking as the spirit gave the utterance and it, it will radically change your life. I've seen people receive the spirit and immediately, um, Years, decades of addiction and bondage was broken. Absolutely, their entire life, mindset, heart was changed. It's God's promise. It's the power of God coming to reside in your life, and it's for every one of us. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on this, feel free to contact me. Um, I would love for everyone to experience this. Um, Soon, possibly even next week, we'll do a second study on uh, the gift of tongues and interpretation as a public ministry to the church and what 1 Corinthians has to say about that. I I believe I can prove conclusively that it's not the same as the initial baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we'll look at some of the Ways that people misunderstand those instructions and how it hinders them from receiving what God has promised and what he's pouring out. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join me again tomorrow for a Sunday sermon and then next week we'll continue our journey through the book of Acts.